Hi y'all, John Alcorn, that one dude 2020, really the CEO and founder of the God Over Money Sports Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is not the Los Angeles LeBron. He knows his stuff. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to go at people. How did he get blocked by LeBron James on Twitter? Talking about, you know, wanting to inspire and, and like, I'm inspired right now. I want to run through a brick wall for you right now. I Cutthroat. It's very, you know, up and down roller coaster of emotion. God put me in a position. You know, it's about time, folks, here. It doesn't matter. No Facebook, no YouTube, no Instagram. You're going to flag my stuff for a bunch of hogwash. It doesn't matter. We're going to keep doing it here on the John Alcorn Show, despite Facebook, YouTube being a bunch of Higgins here. But long list of public address announcer from San Diego Goals, the American Hockey League, the, and probably I get this one, the San Diego Soccers. I think I maybe got that. Uh, right, right there, the Major Arena Soccer League, the MASL, the Point Loma Nazareth University. I butchered that in the University of San Diego Athletics. And, of course, the most important one, or just kidding, the podcast moderator and host of the MSA Sports Network. John, thank you for coming on. How you doing? John, thanks for the invite, man. Uh, we've been working on trying to make this happen, and I'm glad we were able to do it today, man. And uh, great to see you as always, my man. How are we doing? It's well, it's... This say the sports world is I don't know if there's a word. As some of us know behind the scenes, but you know what, you Facebook or YouTube, we're gonna keep doing it. You take it down, we're gonna do another episode. Take it down again, we're gonna do another episode. Because the message doesn't change, but ladies and gentlemen, let's get into today's prayer break. Well, we thank you for the opportunity, despite a lot of setbacks like Callan and myself and many 
other people know we know this is a great opportunity in jesus name amen what we do folks here is a kind of like a like a bible verse here and it's not like a, your typical sunday school thing don't worry not that boring sunday school <laughs> class that we've all been to but again appreciate youth group here is that proverbs 14 23 and all toil there is profit but mere tense only to property and i know that we both know Calvin, in this industry that there isn't going to be what we think it is there are going to be times where we take a huge risk taking so many risks coming on y'all took a huge risk on me but for the story before we kind of continue on though is that we're like a jesus and god story quick for people who don't know i used to work with kids i can't believe i decided to do that and after many many years of let's just say there is a stigma around men working in child care the uh certain word we will not say here on the program but we'll say off air couldn't work in child care. I said, you know what screw this let's go full-time let's shoot your shot let's look insane let's look goofy and let's look crazy you never know what can come from that but Callan, i know you said that you had a they had a crazy journey into the sports world here, but for people out there, either on Twitch or whatever platforms haven't been flagged already at this point in time, tell us about how you got to where you are today doing what you're doing. Uh, again, John, I thank you so much for the chance, and I don't really get an opportunity to actually talk about myself because normally I'm in your spot, always asking the hard-hitting questions to uh, guests or, or on podcasts, but uh, I, I've I've been uh, one of the very few, you know, nowadays, very few uh, few people who's actually been born and raised here in San Diego, California. And I spent a lot of my weekends when I was, you know, very young going to see my brother play either his Little League baseball games or uh, basketball games or even his soccer matches. And just kind of growing up, you know, at the ball field and spending my Saturdays, you know, playing with my friends while my brother was playing and watching him play kind of is where my love for playing sports kind of began, though, when I was very young. And when I was growing up, though, in the mid-90s, we had the Chargers go to the Super Bowl in 94. They, of course, lost to San Francisco. And then in 98, the Padres went to the World Series. So literally, you know, by the time I was born till about four years old, you know, both of our teams were actually on the national stage. Yeah, we were losing, but we were obviously, you know, there with the Chargers and Stan Humphreys and Junior Seau and, of course, the Padres in 1998. And those two teams, more so the Padres, kind of helped me get further into wanting to play sports. I, you know, had aspirations of growing up and playing for the Padres and uh, and stuff like that. But it was a it was a a random day, I want to say, during the uh, during the '98 baseball season. And uh, my my folks were watching the evening news here on our CBS station, and at the time, Ted Leitner who uh, went on to have a 41-year career with the Padres as their t uh, TV, then radio broadcaster. He was sports director at KFMB, CBS Channel 8 here. And there was a, a random day where I stopped what I was doing on the living room floor and was, you know, like watching in awe of Ted giving the uh, evening sports story. And my parents always tell the story, though, but I turned around right after and said, oh, my goodness, that's what I want to do when I get older is be in charge of, of TV sports, radio sports, and from that day forward, I really never changed my mind. And when I would go to games, I would copy the public address announcer, the voice of San Diego sports. It's not me, but the voice of San Diego sports in Bruce Binkowski, who did the Padres forever, did the Chargers for a long time, San Diego State, the soccer's when they played, uh, when they played outdoors, 
and indoors. And that's kind of where my passion for uh, becoming an announcer came from was watching Ted Leitner on TV and, you know, stuff like that and watching the games and being at games and stuff like that. And uh, I think the other best story I love sharing, though, is when my parents, you know, when I was old enough to play Little League T-ball when I was about five or, you know, five years old, uh, I actually found myself, John, for the latter, you know, for the early part of me playing baseball, actually announcing the game from the outfield. And I was yelled at by my parents and my by my dad, who, you know, coached me from the time I was, you know, very young till I was in high school. And uh, and that's the story I love sharing most, though. And it was and it was a it was a dual, you know, love relationship I had. I loved playing the game, but I also loved trying to, you know, to to kind of in a way at that young age, find my voice and become, you know, that announcer. So I would be spending my you know time in the outfield announcing the game and and things like that. But obviously, you know, the Padres inspired me to become an athlete. You know, the Chargers, as I said, were also a very, you know, they were successful in that 94 season and uh, the Padres. You know, my my uh, our family lives and dies with the Padres, and that's been you know our team since the Chargers obviously left for Los Angeles um, and things like that. But certainly, John, that's where I kind of got my start, though, was you know seeing my brother play, uh, being inspired though by the two major league clubs here, uh, but also uh, just seeing you know a random sports you know a random newscast, and that's kind of what got me entrenched into becoming you know a a broadcaster, announcer, whatever you want to call it. Definitely love it, man. I had those moments. Mine was the 06 Rose Bowl here with, of course, of Vince Young. But kind of like a lot of people want to be PA announcers, but don't really understand the work that's that takes to be put in to even maybe get necessarily the interview. But what would kind of be your again your brutally honest advice to people that would be aspiring PA announcer, sports broadcasters, or maybe in the sports world one day? Uh, you know, the advice that I've been given, you know, I, I credit a lot to Dick Enberg, uh, who was basically, you know, the voice of every Southern California sports team. But also he was so well known, though, for his time doing uh, national stuff on CBS, Wimbledon, college basketball, college football, Super Bowls, you know, World Series. And I blunt and I bluntly remember asking Mr. Enberg in 2016, we had the baseball all-star game here in San Diego. And uh, the and uh, Fan Fest was going on, and Fox Sports San Diego had all their TV personalities out there. And when I heard that Dick was going to be there, I made it a point of emphasis of going there to uh, you know hopefully get some advice and obviously get a ball signed by him. So I go and uh, meet him, and so while he's signing this ball, and he had just won the uh, Broadcast Excellence Award for Major League Baseball for the Hall of Fame, and so while he's signing this ball, I asked him, you know, Mr. Inberg, you know, you've been in the industry for. 20, 30, 40 plus years, uh, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to someone like me who's trying to make a name for themselves and get involved with the industry? And after he signed it, John, I kid you not, he looked, he gave me like not really a death stare, but gave me like that, you know, tough love father figure type look and kind of that pointing speech. And he just remembered this, you know, this gruff voice telling me, son, the advice I pass along is simple. The word no should not be in your, in your vocabulary. Whatever assignment you're given, you say yes, whether that's in a major market, a small market, a medium market. And if you're being paid big bucks, little bit of income or not being paid at all, the experience is what matters most. And if you want to be a better announcer or a better broadcaster, I would encourage you to write more and become a writer because 
that's what you're a lot a lot of times you're doing is you know reading scripts is one thing but also writing your own stuff if you're what they call multi-skilled journalists for for local news is you're doing stuff like that and and that's more so the advice i mainly remember though but also i remember as well though john uh when i was a freshman in high school um more so with me trying to become a announcer you know i pursued this dream since you know since i was four years old and I got my first chance to be a part of the broadcast media when I became the sports anchor for Mission Bay High School's student-run television network. And I remember walking in one day to Robert Caligari's classroom. He had a multi-side-by-side uh, -side classroom when he was teaching at Mission Bay. He did computer stuff, and he also did um, the school TV station. And I remember walking in and also talking to Brian Kerr, who was the journalism the journalism teacher. And I asked him, you know, Mr. Kerr, what could I do to perhaps either get with journalism or get with uh, TV? He said, go talk to Mr. Caligari. So I walked into his classroom one day, like first week of school. And I said, Mr. Caligari, I'm, I would like, you know, I'm going to become your sports uh, TV anchor. And some of the kids kind of laughed it off like, hey, what do you know? You know, like all the juniors and seniors. And then uh, Mr. Caligari said, okay, well, let's see what you got. And I rattled off some fictional play-by-play -play of a game. And by the time I finished that, John, all the seniors and all the juniors who kind of clowned me when I walked in and said that, they all had their jaws dropped to the floor. And right then and there, it's like, okay, you're going to start next week. And I happened to work with a very great partner in, at the time, Anna Reynolds, now Anna Blake, who's working at KGB here in San Diego. She was our campus reporter and I was the sports reporter. And we had instant chemistry. You know, we were, you know, we worked very well together. And it was like my first hands-on chance to be able to be like in a working newsroom and producing my own content. I had a, you know, skeleton crew of maybe three to five students who I would go out to football games with, and we would shoot highlight packages for the weekly uh, news updates. We would, you know, interview coaches and interview players. And, you know, we'd be covering football season and basketball. You know, we covered all the sports. And during that time, I was also trying to play varsity baseball and didn't, and, uh, didn't make the roster, but I still ended up playing on a lower level team, but more so was pursuing the TV side more so than pursuing the baseball side of things. Uh, plus I had a bit of a nagging hip injury, couldn't really play it at full, at full strength though. And it was obviously like the, I, uh, honestly, one of the best years I had in high school minus, you know, the athletic side though, but being a part though of, of TV sports and kind of being a part though of that was absolutely, um, uh, you know, amazing, but I still wanted, I still had that itch, John, to, play ball though. So I ended up moving out of that school to uh, the school. I went to Kearney high school here in San Diego for three years and I got to play varsity ball all three years. But then my junior year hit though, and I was hampered by an injury. I had some personal issues. My grades weren't very good and I couldn't play for six weeks. So I had to get myself back on track though, uh, with obviously with academics though, but I also happened though, John, while I was hurt and kind of getting back to full strength though, plus getting my grades back though, I was able to be a part of the school newspaper and I had developed a, uh, you know, a love for writing, which I'll get to uh, uh, momentarily as well. Uh, but that kind of renewed my interest in writing from a couple years prior, but I was writing about the football team, boys and girls basketball, writing about my baseball teammates, because at that time, uh, the girls' basketball team won the league championship. And I was there on assignment covering them winning the game and winning the league title. And also, we had a bit of a transition year on in baseball because there was a rise of pitchers who were being hit by comebackers and by line drives because of how the bats were made. And so they had to basically deaden the aluminum bats to 
not have what they called the trampoline effect and how the balls would jump off the bat and would be at 120 miles an hour plus off the bat. And they basically deadened those bats. So that was a thing that we had to adjust to. And I wrote about, and, uh, but more so with me, with writing more so, John, is this goes back to eighth grade. Um, I was uh, in middle school in eighth grade, obviously. And remember walking into my English class that day and Bob Swigert, who was my English uh, teacher at PB Middle School back then, uh, had us do every day we had a warm-up assignment to write a little bit, kind of get the juices flowing. And uh, the assignment was to you know write a paragraph or two about what you thought was the big news of the previous day. And the previous day, John, I usually try to, to tie in my time or uh, tie in a sports story to whatever I was doing. Yes, I d- would do the actual required work, though, of like history, science, stuff like that. But I would still try to get sports involved, though. So I wrote a story that went from a paragraph to five pages. And this was about women's basketball. Uh, Candace Parker, who was one of the uh, biggest named uh, college athletes of her time in 2008, was drafted the previous day to the uh, WNBA team in Los Angeles. And Candace had just helped uh, Pat Summit win back-to-back national titles. And I kind of wrote, though, like this would be like the changing of the guard, but also like more people would get enthused or at least totally get behind women's basketball and women's sports. We'll talk more about my love for women's sports probably later in the show, though. But this went from a paragraph to a page to two to three to four to five pages because it was a very, I felt like, very big thing, though. Like this was a very big thing, you know, very star-studded athlete who was able to dunk, which wasn't a very big thing in the women's game at that time. And they had knocked off UConn in a huge, huge upset, you know, in Hartford on CBS, on national television. And they came out and just clobbered UConn, which again, you know, usually doesn't happen a lot or didn't happen a lot back then. And that's kind of where I wanted to pursue writing along with, uh, along with my announcing career though. So I would write about sporting events. I'd write about games I went to as a fan when I was in, in, uh, in elementary school, which kind of uh, began my love for the sport of hockey when I was in elementary school. But certainly, though, John, is um, mainly the advice that I, I mainly give, though, is basically what I was told by Dick Emberg is, you know, don't be afraid to say yes. You know, say yes. Take that leap. Take that, you know, take the gamble because you, you don't know where, where, in fact, it may, in fact, take you uh, as, in fact, you kind of get yourself started. Definitely love that, man. A lot of people should really have that attitude is be willing to help out and look, I guess you could say, insane. Don't say no. No job, folks, in the sports world, like Callum McClurry said, is below you or above you, man. But that's the thing. Is a lot of people, they say, look stupid. People are going to laugh at you like they did. And look, hey, you proved them wrong. People are laughing at you. think people, regardless of what you think about sports broadcasters, anyone in the industry, they get laughed at them all the time. Look at the stories of Josh Allen. He's here to start recruiting out of high school. So if that does inspire you folks here that I don't know what will, again, folks, Calvin McClurk here on the John Offer Show tonight. But if anybody has any prayer requests, you can text 281-675-5081 or email godovermoneysportsnetwork at gmail.com. And if YouTube or Facebook tries to take it down, you can DM us on the network page if you have any prayer requests here. But speaking about women's sports, it's always been, I feel like, kind of, a joke in terms of people making fun about it, other uh, in comedy shows or cartoons. But Cal, let's be honest, women's sports get such a negative stereotype. And in your honest opinion, being in women's sports, you've interviewed a lot of great people in women's sports. And one you did back in June from women's ice hockey, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Haley Skamara, if I probably got that name wrong. But in your honest opinion, 
why doesn't women's sports get the amount of the amount of attention, love, or support that it truly deserves? John, I, I think though, sadly, it's a more so a sports media side of things, and I really hate to say that, uh, but I believe that that four percent, I believe Eli Horowitz, who is the PR rep of the LA Sparks, always puts out that four percent. I believe four percent of all uh, sports coverage is is female related. And I think more so that it's been, you know, a stereotype, but also I think though, John, it's mainly been thought of as an afterthought. And like I said, though, about my time though, or at least writing that, that, that piece in eighth grade, John is, you know, I took a gamble when I was getting just out of high school and just starting college. And I did not folks for one thing, go to a four-year university. I went to a broadcasting school based in downtown Los Angeles. And I worked at a very small uh, country radio station here in, in San Diego County out east. And a project, John, I had to do was interview somebody in my field. And I took a gamble on trying to get Candace Parker to be my interview guest. A uh, quick backstory about that is I wrote another story on a blog I recycled from high school that I was using for digital arts and graphic design. And I wrote a story about why I have been a women's basketball fan, women's sports fan. Uh, and it was about Diana Taurasi, who was from UConn, who I saw play her senior year at UConn, literally at Gamble Pavilion, and about Candace Parker. Uh, because, you know, I, you know, those two athletes are two of my favorite women's athletes on the basketball side of all time. And I wrote this article uh, in the winter, I think, of 2000. 13, I believe, and sent it out on Twitter. Didn't really expect to get any like feedback or whatnot. But let alone though, John, is I'm in is I'm I'm fast asleep at night and my phone goes off at like one o'clock in the morning. And and uh one thing though, John, that I think a lot of people don't realize though is that women's basketball players typically play eleven months out of the year. They play in the summer over in the States, though, but the income and the salary, as we know though, John, is not the best. So they will go and play after a quick, you know, like breather, go and play overseas where they make about three to five times more money. They make millions of dollars, John, playing like in small cities in Russia, over in Japan or in Europe somewhere. And it's a very, you know, taxing cycle for these athletes. Um, and so Candace Parker at the time was playing in a very small city called Ekaterinburg, roughly, I believe, two and a half hours northwest of Moscow. Playing with a team, though, and playing, John, with fellow Americans, and there's a rule about how many that they can have on these rosters, but I mean, it was Candace Parker, DT, Sue Bird, you know, like, you know, three of the best on one team. Like, there's no way you're going to lose the title or lose a game. But she was over in, in, in Russia, and of course, the time change is one thing. So I, I send it out, send it out, and my phone goes off, and it's a, it's Twitter notifications, and it says I'm I'm making it out on my phone at like one o'clock, and it was like, what? Candace Parker retweets. Candace Parker is now following you. I'm just like, what on earth is going on here? And also during that time, though, John, I started a podcast specifically for women's basketball, and I was kind of in a similar spot though about our friends at MI6 though about you know do you really want to put the content out? Is people going to watch? You know, you know, am I going to be you know, just like these athletes, you know, given the short end of the stick, though, with all of these, you know, ludicrous, you know, trolls out there about, you know, saying stuff about, you know, the game and stuff like that. And sure enough, though, is 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 um, how things went, though. And 
So after Candace followed me on Twitter, I'm just like, what on earth is going on here? Like I was totally starstruck. Like one of my favorite athletes of all time just followed me on Twitter. So going back though to 2014, you know, about a year or so later is uh, the LA organization was kind of an influx. They were sold off by their former ownership, John, and there was a lot of rumors of them leaving for Golden State or going to the Bay Area uh, because there was a kind of a kind of like the narrative about women's sports not being talked about kind of got changed in 2013 uh, when Brittany Griner, Skylar Diggins and uh, Atlanta Deladon were all drafted in the WNBA draft that year. They were dubbed the three to see. So like things that kind of began turning in a better light for women's basketball, at least. So. During that time, though, while I was doing this podcast, uh, me and my and uh, the guy I help uh, that helped me start the podcast were like, the, the fans need to have a voice here. We're going to start a petition campaign. And we thought that we'd be the laughingstock of, of the media because it's like, you know, why are two guys starting a petition to save a women's, you know, a women's professional sports league? So we didn't make much of it. But Candace Parker helped us out. Uh, legendary WNBA player Delisha Milton Jones helped us out. A lot of media outlets covering the game helped us out. And John, it, it got over 1,100 people to sign this thing. And not just people in LA, but fans of the sport. You know, like we talk about about the, you know, media or about, you know, podcast networks being very close-knit. Despite rivalries and despite, you know, players that you probably don't like, though, we had people signing this from New York, from Texas, Minnesota, Florida, you know, all over the country just saying, you know, I may not like, you know, like the Sparks, but it's, you know, but this team needs to stay here. And during that whole time, though, Magic Johnson got his group together and said, we're going to buy the team and they're going to stay in Los Angeles. It's turned up that they did, though. So anyway, during that season, though, John, very turbulent, you know, off the court issues. They fired their head coach and got beat in the first round by by uh, Phoenix. So literally a week after they lose to the Mercury in the playoffs, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I got this project. I kind of want to reach out. You know, I, I, let me see how far I can take this. So I reached out to Candace Parker on Twitter via, you know, sliding in via the DMs. And I'm just and I and I wrote to her and I said, you know, hey, Candace, you know, big fan, but I'm also a broadcasting student here in San Diego. Uh, and I have a project. Would you be willing to perhaps give me, you know, 10, 15 minutes of your time to just, you know, answer a few questions, you know, for this, you know, for the sake of me getting a grade? And I sent it off and I'm thinking, you know, this is never gonna happen, you know, blah, 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 blah. And John, I kid you not, like about a week or so later, I get a Twitter notification and Candace says, sure, man, let me know when you need it by. And I'm just like, what on earth is going on again? Like I said earlier about that. And I'm seeing myself, you know, I'm really going to be able to interview Candace Parker. So I said, you know, whatever fits best for you. So it kind of went, John, and this is like, I think, though, about this industry, though, that I think is a very good, like motivating tool is it went from like a great, like high point to like oh no, did I screw up or what's going on? Uh, because she had to have a minor knee surgery during that summer. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, this isn't going to work now and stuff like that. So I waited, John, three weeks and didn't hear a word back from her. I'm thinking to myself, did I screw this up? You know, what did I do wrong? You know, so on and so forth. So you start doubting yourself. So three weeks go by. It's a, and it's, it's roughly, I think, you know, mid to late September. And I wrote back there, just, you know, just wanted to kind of touch base on, you know, saying, hey, CP, you know, uh, I don't want to like pressure you or, ru or rush you, but I know, but I'm on your schedule. Like, don't feel bad, though. But if we could, you know, get this done, you know, that'd be amazing. You know, if it works, if it works, if not, if not, please let me know. 
literally the next day she said, Hey man, I'm, I didn't mean to blow you off. I'm sorry. You know, just been busy with some stuff though. Uh, I can do it September 26th at 10 o'clock in the morning if that works. I'm like, let's do it. You know, let's do it. So, I mean, during that time though, John, I had all my questions laid out though, but I also was reaching out to backup guests, like in case I couldn't get Candace Parker on, like I reached out to Candace Wiggins, a great friend of mine who, uh, who's from San Diego, who played here in high, uh, who played here uh, in high school and stuff like that. We've been great friends for a long time. And so she was, she was my backup and stuff like that, just in case that uh, Parker couldn't do so. So when she said, yeah, let's do it on the 26th, John, uh, or on the 26th. And John, I'll never forget, though, the night beforehand, I could not fall asleep. I mean, I'm just like, man, this is a huge thing. Like, get to talk to, you know, one of my favorite athletes, you know, men's side, women's side, whatnot. And it, it was a very, like, pretty traumatizing experience, like, the night before, just, like, trying to settle down, like, you know, big moment for me, big milestone moment for me. And then the next day rolls around. And, uh, uh, and the time comes to, to, uh, to, to do it. And I'm like, okay, now I got to deliver. Uh, so she calls, you know, kind of tenor, like, Hey, how's it going? It's like, Hey, Candace, it's Callan, you know, Hey, you know, uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, thank you so much for doing this. This means a lot though. And John, I kid you not though. I thought I was going to get maybe five, 10, maybe 15 minutes of tops though. Candace Parker, let me talk to her for 45 minutes. And it was more of one of like what we're doing here more so is a interview not to talk about, you know, what happened, you know, like what went wrong last season, but more so, you know, what was it like growing up and watching two brother your two brothers play and seeing them go on to play in the NBA? You know, how was it growing up watching the Bulls in the dynasty back in the 90s, you know, and, and things like that? And then also, you know, uh, you know, how was it playing in high school and, you know, having all the success there and then playing for Pat Summit, then being drafted, then going and playing in Los Angeles for as long as you had, you know, at the time. And I'll never forget, John, after I finished it and like, I kind of did like, you know, like, like on top of the world, the interview that I shared, that I ended up sharing just went uh, haywire, you know, her family listened to it and gave me their feedback. Obviously, you know, she did a course and stuff like that, but John, I never had the chance to thank her in person for it. And then two years later, I went to a, to one of her games at Staples Center in the middle of June or late June in the afternoon, dragged a friend and his girlfriend at the time to a game just to like, you know, hey, let's do it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, is this the day I can finally do it in person instead of, you know, because I think, John, that you know very well, it's one thing to do it like over the web on like the anniversary of the day, though. But it's more fulfilling if you ask me to do it in person, you know, at a game or after a game or you know, bumping into them randomly at like a autograph or a public appearance event. So the game goes on. I actually see her before the game, actually, and just saying, you know, hey, you know, great to see you, you know, and stuff like that. And she said, hey, we'll talk after the game. And I'm like, great, you know, we'll talk after the game. So the game concludes, and I'm, you know, pretty close by to the bench here. And she said, hey, give me 20 minutes, I'll be right back. And so I actually end up getting booted out of the arena. And I asked my friend, you know, I was like, you know, hey, man, you know, I kind of want to like hang if you don't mind, because, you know, it's about like two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon, John. If you know anything about Southern California or Los Angeles, traffic is a nightmare every single hour of the day, whether it's at 5 a.m. or five o'clock in the afternoon. And they're like, yeah, hey, it, you know, no worries. You know, we can take, you know, take our time and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm waiting outside Staples, John, and I'm and I'm seeing other players from, you know, players from Atlanta walk by, you know, they're very cordial. And John, I will say that real quick here to kind of go off tangent real quick. They are probably some of the most approachable, 
down-to-earth athletes you'll ever meet. Because, because they know well, though, that they're going to be, you know, John, basically put to the fire because it's a women's sport. And that they, they, they so, so much, John, love and appreciate every fan, whether you're rooting for them or not, that you come to their games. You know, they're approachable for autographs, you know, photos, stuff like that. You know, and, and, they're, and they're human like us. They just have to do something, John, a little bit better than us. But anyway, you know, so time's going by, time's going by. I'm just thinking, you know, this is, you know, pointless. I'll come back to a game maybe later in the season. And so, like, I want to say, like, 90 minutes, John, went by from the game concluding to this point of the day. And this dad and his two young kids came over where I was waiting, you know, waiting outside of the arena. And he's like, um, you know, well, what are you doing? You know, I'm just like, yeah, you know, we're, we're seeing some people. I'm waiting to see Candace Parker and stuff. And so the, uh, two days beforehand, uh, they went to the game against uh, Dallas, I think. And the dad had this, you know, giant stack of or not, a, but, you know, a stack of photographs that they had printed off at like Walmart or Costco. And um, he was having the players sign them. It was, you know, obviously his kids with the players. And the only player they didn't get was Candace Parker. So, you know, we're talking and stuff. And then I hear a car parking behind me because we're sitting on a uh, we're, we're sitting outside the L.A. Convention Center on a street corner uh, by the uh, players parking lot. And I hear a voice by me saying, hey, dude, what's up? And I turn around and here's Candace Parker on her way out of the arena, uh, you know, in the uh, in the closest lane to where the sidewalk was uh, saying what was up. And like I had to freeze for a minute and I said and I'm trying to like get the words out like, you know, can you like, you know, hop out for a sec and and and, and say hi uh, before you leave? And um so sure enough, she puts her hazards on John, and I kid you not, she comes out and spends a few minutes. And I told, you know, the dad said, you know, hey, you know, you guys can go first. I need a little bit longer. So the kids got their picture taken again with Candace. Uh, she signed the pictures, and and then we had our chance to, you know, you know, had our chance, to, you know, to, to say what's up. And I told her, so you know, I know I've done it for the past two years, but it's a, you know, privilege and honor to say thank you uh, so much for again you taking that time, you know, back in 2014 out of your schedule to, to do that interview with me, because that meant a lot though. And it was also obviously for the sake of a grade, but also I can tell you, you know, in, in person, I, I got my degree or I'm getting my degree this October and, and stuff like that. And since that day though, John, when I've gone to games at Staples center, or even when I went to the all-star game for the WNBA in Minneapolis, we've, we've connected in some small capacity, whether it's, whether it's at the game, after the game, stuff like that. And, and again, John, I, I would not trade that experience at, at all. And it, it's so cool though, to, to like have on, on my resume, you know, Candace Parker and Candace Wiggins as two uh, people, you know, two pro athletes who are household names, whether people want to admit it or not, or not that have been, uh, you know, interview guests and one more awesome women's sports story, uh, John, or two more, or a couple more about that is um, in February of 2018, me and uh, my good friend, Matt, went to a Vegas Golden Knights LA Kings home game at Staples Center. And we're Anaheim Ducks fans. We, we, you know, we're not the, the biggest fans of, uh, of, of teams in Los Angeles, but we went though because, you know, Vegas had a very good team that year. And, and, and it was just like, you know, let's go to a game. Why not? Literally, John, I kid you not, 10 minutes after I bought the tickets, I got an email from the LA Kings with this, you know, you know urgent announcement. USA women's hockey team 
gold medal winning USA hockey team to appear at Staples Center to be honored for winning 2018 Winter Olympics gold medal in South Korea. And I'm thinking, oh boy, this is going to be fun. So, uh, so I mean, the reason being with that, though, is uh, Hillary Knight went to college with my cousin, uh, Hannah McClure-Torres at Wisconsin. Also knew my friend DJ Shunner Nichols from the from the Bucks as well. They all three were Badgers back at one point in time. And Hillary has basically been the face of USA women's hockey for a for majority of majority of her career. So I'm thinking, you know, this would be awesome. Like check another athlete of mine that I love off the list. So we go to the game again. We really don't have much rooting interest in the game because again, it's Vegas and LA. Really don't care about the two teams and stuff like that. But we managed, though, John, to, to, to go down to the level where they were sitting. And so the players were, you know, uh, they, they were extremely gassed, John, because they literally had flown, flown in, I think, from South Korea into LAX. I think, the, I think like the early morning of that day, had to go on a media blitz across LA with Ellen DeGeneres and NBC and Good Morning America and all that sort of stuff, though. And they had to come to the game, drop a ceremonial first puck, and then had to talk to the, uh, the LA Lions, the LA Kings' uh, women's and girls' hockey program, and John, even though and, and John, even though they were jet lagged, tired out of their mind, probably didn't want to be at the game though, they still though let all of us fans celebrate their victory with them because they had a lot of their family and friends at the games, but not like the general public being there like us. So we're hanging out down below, and uh, they were in a suite though. So if they had to use the restroom, they had to leave the suite to go use the bathroom. But they were super nice, though, John. Even while they were, you know, leaving, you know, or walking around the concourse, they stopped and let us take pictures. So we got to meet Jocelyn Lamaru, who had the game-winning goal for the for Team USA in the um, in the gold medal game in the shootout. We got to meet Brianna Decker, and of course, we got to meet Hillary Knight. And I'm like, sh- like quivering inside, like keep it together, keep it together. But again, they were all super nice, super down to earth. Uh, you know, uh, Decker and uh, Jocelyn let us see their gold medals. Man, those things are. F- humongous in person uh but you know but amanda kessel you know so we got we got to you know either get pictures with them or you know say hey congrats and you know we got to shake their hands or give them hugs or whatnot and again just you know a super cool cool experience though but i don't think though but i don't think john it will be as cool though as actually seeing that team actually play in person as they did in uh pre-covid about a month prior to covid really hitting hard they played a game versus canada up at Honda Center in Anaheim, and it was the uh, highest attended uh, highest attended home game for the women's national hockey team ever in the U.S. It wasn't, you know, it was in Detroit and in, in Denver, I think, though. And here, John, a what they would call a non traditional hockey market in Southern California rakes in thirteen thousand people plus and becomes the highest attended uh, hockey game for the women's national team ever. And seeing all the players close up, though, with you know high fives and after the game, though. Uh, I mean, you know, John, you know, I, I really wish, though, that people and I think, though, that the past several years, though, have been a very great like way to kind of get the uh, women's sports back on a on an even playing field. Though Again, we had we had Haley join us, though, on the sports lounge on MI6 back in June, though, and that the narrative, I think, though, John, is slowly but surely changing. And I think that as more people invest in the product, more people go to games, more people tune into games, though. And stuff like that is, that's what I think is going to help women's sports further grow, though, is either with, for example, the NWSL, you know, the highest level of women's pro soccer, adding teams in Los Angeles and in San Diego over the next year, though, and growing their brand. 
uh, the WNBA perhaps maybe growing their league eventually after having 12 teams for a long time. Uh, certainly Kristen Press going, uh, you know, uh, Kristen Press, you know, big name in women's soccer, leaving her club in the NWSL to go home and play in Los Angeles for that ownership group. And I think, though, John, it's more of a matter of representation, but also that more so that I think that leagues and teams, I think right now, they're no longer afraid to kind of take that gamble and they want to invest in women's sports. As Haley said, though, on the sports lounge, like the Pagula family who owns every team in Buffalo, they invested all, you know, investing money in their women's hockey team with the Buffalo Buttes. And they've been a very consistent winner and in, in investing those time and resources. That's what I think all you can ask for and maybe better coverage on TV or the radio or in the newspaper and stuff like that. But certainly, John, it's been a great several years if you're a women's sports fan. Yes, Team USA success, though, with with uh, with basketball and soccer and stuff like that, though. But that more and more eyeballs are going there. And that's really all I think that you can ask for, though, but also that people now are investing their product or investing their time, effort, and money into the product is what I think is also a very, very, very big step forward as well. Definitely, my man. And that's the thing is I definitely want to hear or get to talk to more female athletes in the future, and it definitely drives me crazy here. But you should be proud of me. There hasn't been a single football question here so far, and there won't be a single one here. But to baseball talk here, and they'll let Isaiah know that I'm talking baseball. Just kidding, though. Of course, I believe the Padres are, I believe, in third or fourth place in the NL West right now. Kind of, since the playoffs are getting a lot, getting closer and closer, what do you think would have to be the biggest adjustment for the Padres come playoff time? Uh, John, it's been a very tough sledding right now for this ball club, sadly. And it's, you know, it's very sad to see, John, because kind of in a way, though, like that meme, you see a lot of the Dallas Cowboy fans about the preseason and, you know, hey, we them boys. And then they go eight and eight and like the cycle repeats, though. <laughs> sadly, here in San Diego, though, John, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, get star players, you know, high hopes or expectations. Something goes wrong. And the cycle repeats. It's it's a broken record, Sally. And right now, though, John, it's been a mixture of starting pitching issues and a lack of offense so far uh, as well. But more so, it's the starting pitching. And I've been obviously, you know, watching this team play all year. And it's been it was a great, you know, first half to the start of the season. But then, though, John, is I feel like though that the season, if and in fact that the Padres don't make the playoffs, though, can all be traced back to the trade deadline where A.J. Preller was oh so close to bringing in Max Scherzer from the Washington Nationals only to be outbid by the rival Los Angeles Dodgers who get richer with, with getting Scherzer and Trey Turner and adding more lethal firepower to that already stacked L.A. Dodger roster. And that the Padres right now are kind of at the, you know, they're right now, they are big time hurt right now. They're big time hurt right now. Uh, with starting pitching right now, very, being very thin right now with you uh, Darvish being on the IL, Blake Snell being up and down, very hit or miss. Joe Musgrove has been very, very uh, efficient so far. Ryan Weathers has had a very bad ERA and also Chris Paddock being hurt, though. They signed Jake Arrieta to a uh, uh, contract and he pulls a hamstring in Colorado, his first start with the Padres. And also lack of offense has been a very big thing. They got no hit a couple weeks ago by one of the worst teams in baseball by the Diamondbacks. In Phoenix, though, they get swept, though, uh, by the uh, by uh, Colorado as well uh, and things like that. And just more so, John, like the wheels right now are falling off at the worst possible time, though. But it's not a but I, I've been very reluctant to really kind of say, you know, season's over, move on to next year, though. 
But it's becoming more and more grim, I think, as you see this team floundering and, you know, trying to gasp for air right now. Uh, but that still, though, I think, though, John, does not take away, though, about how this Padre Balcom, though, has, in fact, played, though. Because you go through those peaks and valleys. You know, you go through, you know, the, you know, the good times and then the bad times. And right now, the bad times are coming, though, at probably the worst possible time, though, right now, with this being late August, early September coming up, though. And also the gauntlet of that schedule being left, though, with San Francisco and the Dodgers again, St. Louis, uh, even the Braves right now coming in. So it's not going to be any easier for the Padres. Even Houston is coming in uh, to, uh, into town in September. But right now, I think, though, John, I don't want to, you know, give up yet. You know, I'm trying my best not to, you know, lose all my hope or stuff like that. But certainly it is becoming more and more grim, though, that if, in fact, this club does not make the postseason, you kind of have to go back though to the trade deadline, and when the Padres were, you know, this close to getting Max Scherzer, only to be, you know, one up though by the rival Dodgers, who get richer and get better with that one move right then and there. Yeah, exactly, my man. Sports is like a marriage; you go through the good times and the bad times here. And speaking kind of your Padres here, because the Kings aside, he ask you, Kevin, you think your Padres will fire the man- manager if? the Padres missed the postseason. You know, I, I've been a bit torn about this, but I don't see it happening because I think that A.J. Preller hired his guy and he wants his guy here for the next several years. I even think he said the next 10 years he wants Jace Tingler here. But I do think, though, that sadly, a season that's kind of gone out of control like this season has for the Padres with, you know, not getting starting pitching at the trade deadline and the offense sputtering out of control and the pitching not being there is that I think that more so it's very hard, John, you know, even for someone like me to blame somebody or single out one person in a team sport. And I think that AJ Preller, I think in my mind will get majority of the blame though, because this guy you know, did a lot over the offseason with Snell and Darvish and, Mus- and Musgrove and Keone Kella and then chose not to get any pitching at the deadline. Or he did try, but it didn't pan out, though. You know, they swung and missed, you know, on Scherzer and Jose Barrios and even Kyle Gibson uh, because he wasn't he, – he didn't want to let go of the farm. Where literally, John, six years ago, he gutted the farm. He got rid of all those prospects. For Matt Kemp and Justin Upton and Melvin Upton Jr. and Derek Norris and Will Middlebrooks, then the Padres are a game below 500 and they fired Buddy Black for Pat Murphy, then Andy Green, which I think kind of began the downfall of the Padres from 2015 till last season. Then they had to reload the farm and get all these first round picks and get all these, you know, aging veterans and unheard of prospects to basically patch up the organization. And, you know, and I'm going to games, John, back then with guys who were, you know, just like patchwork, you know, like aging veterans like Ian Kinsler and, you know, Ian Kennedy, who's, you know, revived his career, though. But a lot of nobodies and a lot of guys that no one would pay to go see in 20 from 2015 till 2019. But then, though, the Padres try again with Eric Hosmer uh, in 2018, then Machado in 2019. And while it hasn't panned out, though, John, this stuff is still like very new to new, though, to San Diego sports fans, because we're so used, though, with the Padres and Chargers being a place, though, where guys would come to basically 
you know, play for a year, then move on. And then they do great somewhere else, though. You know, we're so used to that happening. And we're not used to having guys like Hosmer and Machado who were, you know, you know, big name guys with Baltimore or with the Dodgers, with the Royals, like Hosmer was when he won the World Series there in 2015. We're not used to having guys like that come here and say, you know what? Let me go to San Diego. Let me actually change the narrative about San Diego and go that and go here and see what I can do, though, to help this team out. And Eric Hosmer has not panned out. Machado has uh, has panned out, though I think, though, that he's the main guy that makes this ball club go, though. But then, though, you have the diamond in the rough, though, of Fernando Tatis Jr., John, who, you know, with this not even being Padre fan biased, John, this guy is single-handedly the face of baseball. This is even this is not even my own personal bias about Fernando. But John, when you have a player like Fernando Tatis Jr. in a sport though in league like Major League Baseball in a sport like baseball, John, who cannot get themselves out of a paper bag. And they've had issues of course with last season being what it was last year and labor strikes in in, in uh you know back in 81 and 94. And they're losing the younger demographics or people like yourself who can't find the game interesting because they go on for so long that this is a player that will see that single handedly in my mind helps bring people like yourself, John, into the sport because of how he plays the game, that he always usually does something electrifying, whether it's a diving catch or a grand slam that he hits or he makes some impossible catch or he steals a base, though. And I think, though, John, as we have said, though, man, so many times, though, on podcasts, on MI6 or on other outlets, though, that baseball has been dying a slow death for a long, long time, though. And when you have people like Jeff Passan, Bob Nightingale, some of the most well-known and respected baseball writers writing stories about how this kid can single-handedly or with the help of other players like Vlad, like Vlad, uh, like uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with the Blue Jays, or Shohei Otani with the Angels, that these three guys can basically single-handedly help save the game of baseball. Again, this is uncharted territory, John, for 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 Padre fans, for people like me that live here. Like this publicity never comes here. It's always about like, oh, team leaves San Diego, or oh, you know, team trades away, you know star player for prospects and that player ends up winning a you know title like I, I think John the most notable one I can think of that my dad told me about was the late great Lance Allworth you know superstar receiver for the Chargers in the AFL and NFL he gets dealt away from the Chargers to go to to go to Dallas and what does he do John he wins a Super Bowl the very next season I mean that is just like that is sadly though man what this town on the major league level of sports with the Padres and even the Charters, the Rockets and Clippers, that's what we're known for. That is what we are known for, is dealing away great, you know, notable players who then have blossoming careers like Allworth did with, with Dallas. He won, a, I think he won that ring, then retired the next year. You know, Gene Seau, you know, so close yet so far, two different times uh, with, you know, Chargers and the Patriots when they were unbeaten, though. And then, you know, the Rockets leave, the Clippers leave, the Chargers leave, like, there's not a lot, though, John, for us to hang our hat on with, you know, Major League Baseball, the NFL or the NBA, uh, because, you know, teams leave, you know, teams have bad seasons. But with the Padres, though, John, is that they've turned a corner, certainly. But, you know, I, I think a lot, though, John, about last season, you know, obviously a year, though, that we don't want to speak about ever again, though, but how the Padres brought the city together. Yes, I know that we get, you know, ridiculed and criticized, though, for, you know, 
hey, you celebrated, you had a parade for winning a wild card series. You know, like I try to tell Isaiah John every time, though, San Diego has had nothing to cheer for in the NFL or Major League Baseball since 1963. That was the last championship in baseball or football that we as a city won. And JFK was president back then. And I, and I think back a lot, John, to last year. Yeah, Slam Diego was born in, in 2020 with, you know, the four grand slams in a game. But, yes, it's remembered, though, for us not have for, uh, you know, the Potters not having starting pitching in the playoffs last year and losing the Dodgers and, you know, losing the Dod- to the Dodgers in three games, though. But that last season, though, John, was for me, it was more about what the Padres did to bring the, you know, bring the city together. You know, a t- you know, a city who had lost, you know, pro football for, you know, four or five years ago and needed something to rally around. You know, and I always ask my parents, you know, how was it? during the 94 Chargers season or during the World Series, because I was very young, like I said earlier in the show, though. And my parents told me when the Chargers beat the Steelers to go to the Super Bowl in 94, everybody and their family went to the stadium just to welcome the team home after they beat the Steelers in the in the AFC title game. And it was sold out. And every TV and news station was there to cover the event. And Gina Seau, I think John gave a very you know remarkable speech, though, when he was, you know, given the mic uh, to talk to the crowd over the PA. And he says, you know, now the world is going to know about the San Diego Chargers. And then he also said, you know, now the world's going to know about San Diego. You know, this isn't a beach town. This isn't, you know, SeaWorld and the zoo. You know, now everyone out there is going to know about San Diego. And then I asked him about the 98 Padre season with them going to the World Series. Because, uh, again, I was very young. I have, you know, faint memories of that season, though. And I said, so what happened after we won, you know, game six and beat, you know, the almighty Braves in, uh, in Atlanta, five, nothing to go to the world series. And they said, you know, people were running out of the bars and high fiving and people were beating their car horns down, our, you know, down our street and like the whole city again, just rallied around sports. And that's kind of in a way, John, though it was obviously with COVID issues last year, but that's what happened last year is that, you know, uh, when the Padres clinched the playoff berth last year, I was, you know, I was walking, I was home by myself watching the game and pacing the floor back and forth, like, come on, come on, come on. Then when they finally won the game, I ran, I ran around the block for about 10 minutes to burn all the energy off. And then when the Padres went to the, uh, end up going to the playoffs, you know, uh, I watched every game with my parents, uh, you know, in the uh, minus the one game that we went to because they had a, uh, drive-in movie theater style watch party at Petco Park that we did in the parking lot. And, you know, it was like at least 10,000 people deep watching the game from the, uh, from the, from their, from their cars and, and stuff like that. Then game two and game three, I was watching at home with my parents. Then when we got to the DS and played the Dodgers, though we weren't probably allowed to do so, me and my friends threw a giant party uh, for game one that we ended up losing Sally, but we still got together. And that's what, this team has done is they have brought all of the city together. Uh, and obviously, you know, beating the Dodgers is one thing though and stuff, but that John, I don't remember though, you know, a time and place where our home games have been filled with our own fans. You know, every time, John, if you remember charger games, they'd be with, you know, full of Denver fans and Raider fans and, you know, uh, you know, uh, Raider fans and chiefs fans and stuff. And same with the Padres, it would always be Dodger fans, 
Giants fans, Phillies fans, uh, the occasional visit from the uh, from the Angels. It would always be the opposing fans and your very small number of, of Padre fans like myself who would go to games because they love baseball or those who would get free tickets and to go to just to drink beer and, and watch the game and not worry about if they won or lost, though. But that this season, though, John, like I said, though, has just helped rally the city. You know, a city who's been, you know, thrown to the curb so many times and it's only known about it being a beach town and craft beer and tacos and, you know, the surf and sand and stuff like that, though. But that the Padres are saying, that's great and all, but what about us? You know, and I think, like I said, about having Tatis Jr., you know, the face of baseball on this roster. Again, that's not even biased. That's been said, though, by ESPN, MLB Network, writers across across the board with every, you know, major news publication out there. And that this kid and this team, John, like I said, though, that Tatis Jr. and the Padres are bringing fun back to the game with how they play the game and their attitude and the swagger and stuff like that. Yeah, it hasn't really been there lately, but John, you know, it's a good time right now, though. It's not obviously been a great, you know, fun time, though, but with how the Padres have played and their commitment to, to making this club and in, in this, you know, l- you know, frowned upon, looked upon as a doormat franchise into a respectable contender over the next decade plus is what gives me a lot of pride in my hometown again. Yes, I know I work with, you know, uh, our hockey team here in San Diego and with the uh, indoor soccer team here as well, though. But seeing it from the Padres, though, just makes it a little bit sweeter. But, uh, but you know, uh, the goals in soccer is obviously, you know, they've done their, you know, done an amazing job, though, of getting people back behind the sports scene here in San Diego. And, and, and I'll definitely say that for sure. But uh, starting with the Padres, though, it's fun seeing a team that, you know, competes every day. Yes, they probably, you know, have had a rough few weeks, though. But it's been fun, though, John, to just seeing a competitive ball ball club going out there every night and playing as hard as they can. That's what we love about sports. And if anybody, like we talked about we, a couple months ago about sports, time, if there's any sports fan, you're not even a sports fan, that you're going to criticize somebody for celebrate, that's the whole point about sports. Why we're in sports is that bring people together to celebrate. A win is a win. Even if the Raiders went 0-17, whatever team, and then they won a game and they celebrate, heck yeah. You flip and do it. Obviously, it's a little bit different with the Browns when they won a game when they went when they lost every single game. But to really criticize that—that's what we love. He was even on the cover of this this uh, baseball game this year for the uh, for the for the game console. So he's the face of baseball. Not nobody with the A's, Isaiah, and anybody behind the scenes here on the program. Karen, I think we're both looking forward to this day. A maybe double roast Isaiah roast session right here. And, uh, well, folks, viewer discretion advised. Again, all the other words were blurred out. But other than that, Isaiah Leon decides to talk about a certain baseball team that we're familiar with. And you see this background because that's how I feel what he sounds like when he talks about his baseball teams. Isaiah, you work for the A's. Come on, buddy. The A's lose again! How many times do we keep freaking losing, man? Gosh darn it, another freaking loss! And you're <laughs> Let's play the just one more time. The A's lose again! How many times do we keep freaking losing, man? Gosh darn it, another freaking loss! I'd like to know what's in the pillowcase that he's beating on the on the side of the door. And maybe we'll have to talk to Isaiah Pono Show call here. But folks, would you work for a sports team? 
or you're looking to work for a sports team or any job. Isaiah, I don't even know why we bother. It gets to Asia that bad. They're that desperate to have employees. The A's, ooh, ooh, Casey King gave us some wonderful news. The Oakland A's have fallen out of the box. Yes, 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 yes. And you know what, Isaiah? should learn their lesson. We've got a couple more videos here before we end the program, but just Isaiah Rose session is a nice way to end an interview. I think the Padres and the Athletics are both in the same boat, you know. Really, Isaiah. Go even further. Like how we saw this one, folks. Again, Isaiah, you went on your knees on a show and apologized to Matt Chapman. Well, this video says otherwise. Chappy? More like crappy. Then I even told him to take that damn shirt off, too. But no! But no! <laughs> It just makes me wonder, but our final roast this video here, folks. Isaiah says we should buy stock in Georgia. Folks, buy your stock in the Georgia Bulldogs. This is the year that the Georgia Bulldogs under head coach Kirby Smart and star quarterback JT Daniels will win it all. Kirby Smart has his best quarterback that he's ever had at Georgia. He's got an amazing group of running backs, amazing group of wide receivers. Tight ends are beasts. Offensive line, nobody can move them. Defense, this is the best defense he's also had at Georgia as well. Plus Alabama, they have a very, very young quarterback. He's unproven. He hasn't even started a game. Every team besides Georgia is weak in the SEC. Buy your stock now in Georgia. This is Georgia's year, folks. JT Daniels better than Jake Fromm and Andy Murray. And, uh, and uh, what was the other guy? Uh, uh, Andy Murray? Is that what the other guy I'm thinking I of? I don't care if they have freaking Tom Brady. Georgia no, isn't going to no. be doing anything this year, folks. We can count on the joining the show here, but what we do on every single Come on, program. Jimmy, no, we got to no. get this first. Oh, no, no. Technical issues here as we have on there. But again, folks, we're going to tonight's final thoughts here. If I can actually find it, final thoughts. Hey, folks, Kyle McClure joins the show. Callum, do you have any final thoughts for the program, the roast sesh, or anything else? No, thanks again for the invite, John. Uh, maybe I could have gone longer, but I'm glad we kind of kept it at an hour plus. But, uh, Thanks again, man, and uh, looking forward to the next one. For sure, and hopefully we have some news coming soon, and YouTube doesn't decide to call me another scammer, and I apologize. I guess I was practicing scam, and I'm a scammer, so I apologize, folks, for that. Not really. So, Susan, hopefully you're watching. Obviously, you're not, but thank you all so much for the support. We will see you all next time. Last time I checked, this is not the Los Angeles LeBron. He knows his stuff. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to go at people. How did you get blocked by LeBron James on Twitter?